Greetings to all of God's people. This is again Mordecai Joseph, and we are now in Lesson 39. And last time we began Psalm 105, so we're going to repeat it now, at least the beginning of it, uh, since we had, I believe, only uh, one or two statements there. In Psalm 105, we read in verse 1, O give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him, sing psalms to Him. Talk of all His wondrous works, glory in His holy name. And basically what the writer here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling Israel that this is a part of their testimony, or their task. That's the reason why they're called the body of witnesses of God, Adat Israel. And it is their task, it is their commission from the beginning of time as it was given to them from Sinai to be a light to the nations. So they are to declare the glory of God and the name of God. And then let's go to uh, verse 5, where we read, uh, verse 5, Remember his marvelous works, which he has done, his wonders, and the judgments of his mouth, O seed of Abraham, his servant, you, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. And so he's reminding them that God chose him for that task. That's the reason why he calls him Adah. He never called any other nation by that name. And it's from that name, Adah, later on, that the word church came about. Of course, when the word church was used, it was used more for the house rather than the people themselves. And then by extension, they applied it also to the people, be it a small congregation or the whole congregation. But in either case, God is inspiring the psalmist here to write those things and to remind his people that they are his chosen ones. They are of the seed of Jacob, who came from Abraham, and they are to let the whole world know who God is and who his people are and what are his judgments and his statutes and his testimonies and his laws and his way of life and the purpose of it all. And in verse 7 we continue, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers His covenant forever. So God is constantly reminding them time after time after time after time from the beginning of the book until the end of it. Regardless of what people say and all their lies and all their deceptions whether they deceive even the very people of God. God says that He remembers His covenant forever with his chosen ones, the chosen of Jacob, of the seed of Abraham. And so in verse 8 he says, He remembers his covenant forever, the word which he commended to a thousand or for a thousand generations. For how long that covenant was to be between God and his people? A thousand generations. What's a thousand generations? That covers in essence forever. It's a terminology for the duration of the time, which is as long as people is in existence, as long as the moon and the sun are in existence, as we shall read later on, so will the covenant endure forever, even if in between many things happen, like punishment and captivity and exile, like the coming of their God and husband like his crucifixion, like his death, like his resurrection. That doesn't alter anything. His covenant is forever. 
and those who read the New Testament, unfortunately, not having a background in the whole picture, as Peter said, those who are unlearned wrestle with the Scriptures to their own destruction. And so it's important to see it from God's point of view from the beginning until the end. God made it very plain. He remembers His covenant forever. And He said it with whom? The children of Jacob. And the word which He commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which He made with Abraham and His oath to Isaac and confirmed it to Jacob for His statue, to Israel, the entirety of the nation, as an everlasting covenant. God speaks very plainly. And yet people don't believe Him. Even those who claim that they do. And it's very important for us, if we are to worship God in truth and in spirit, if we are to be truly His people, we must come out of Babylon, not bring with us the luggage that we brought with us from the past from our background, but look at all things from God's point of view, and so worship Him in truth and in spirit. And then let's go to verse uh, 42, where we read, For He remembered His holy promise, and Abraham His servant. He brought out His people with joy, His chosen ones, with gladness. You see? He's the one that chose them. He's the one that called them. He's the one that made that promise for eternity. Forever. And we shall see it as we get to the book of Revelation. That it is an eternal promise. It's not even only for the duration of the life in the flesh. But even far beyond that. Let's go now to Psalm 107, where we continue the story. And we pick up the thread in Psalm 107 and verses 42 and 43, where we read, The righteous see it and rejoice, and all iniquity stops its mouth. Whoever is wise will observe these things, and they will understand the loving kindnesses of the Lord. In other words, before that, throughout the psalm is describing the children of Israel and their iniquities and their punishment and their captivity and exile and the afflictions that came upon them. And yet, nevertheless, God is making it very plain, in spite of all that, that God will constantly be with His people. And all those who are saying it otherwise are the children of iniquity. As Paul said, let God be true in every man a liar. Because an awful lot of lies began to be preached in the name of God. As Christ said, many shall come in my name saying that I am the Christ, may have an awful lot of knowledge and understanding, may believe, may be sincere and all that, and yet not having the whole picture are going to deceive many. And many of those who do it are very good people, very sincere people. Very righteous people. They're not evil people necessarily. But not having the whole picture. Not knowing the pattern. Not reading the whole story from the beginning until the end. They just speak certain passages in certain places at a certain time. The history of, of Israel when they were way down and out. 
and said, Aha! God rejected his people. And yet God did not. And he made it again and again and again very plain. He had not done that. So people should not call God a liar. And yet by claiming that God rejected his people, that he picked up somebody, somebody would say, he, he put down Israel and he picked up the church. You see? What we are saying by that, as many others say it in other words, that in the days of old, God chose Israel, but they rebelled against God, so he got rid of them, and now he chose us. Now we are the people of God. And that is very serious when we start talking like that and preaching that to others. Not only that we are being deceived, but we are deceiving others also by this kind of lies. When the truth is very plain, and the simplicity that is in Christ is very plain, a child can understand it. In Psalm 125, let's continue the story, where we read more about this, and we're going to read an awful lot about that, because we need to make it extremely, very clear and plain in our minds, because we're talking about 2,000 years of deception, and it's not easy to unlearn once you've learned errors, and so we need to go through it very thoroughly for that purpose, to turn the world right side up instead of the upside down that it has been all this time, at least in the minds of many. Psalm 125, and in verse 2 we read, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, and speaking about the city, but also symbolically about the nation, so the Lord surrounds His people from this time forth and forever and that was the attitude of the God of Israel and that's not talking about Jerusalem that was a righteous one but had a lot of sins and iniquities and yet God said that as far as he's concerned since he knows things which are not as though they are and he's going to atone for the sins of Jerusalem and of Israel he's going to be around his people forever and we should understand that and believe it. Because God said it, and not man. Psalm 126. And we read in verse 1 to 4. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion. Now, you might know, some of you, about the Psalms. They are the Psalms of Ascent. And this is one of the Psalms of Ascent. In other words, when, they, when the priests and the Levites on the Feast of Tabernacles were coming uh, to the temple... They were, they had 15 uh, songs of ascent that they sang every time they, they went up one step toward the temple and they sang one song and this time uh, they sang this one, a song of ascent. This is one of them. And so, this is a prophecy in essence for the future at a time when Israel was still in their land and they were right there by the temple. And yet, God is re inspiring the one who is writing this song about the future, to make it very plain, to comfort his people, that in spite of their sins and iniquities, he is always going to be with them and bring them back. And so this is what we read here, as the Spirit of Christ, as Peter would say, that was in them, spoke, that is speaking of their own, of their own minds and hearts, is the manner of many who claim to be the servants of God. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, 
and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. In other words, the people of God, because of their own iniquity and punishment, were sent into captivity. And they constantly groaned and moaned and cried. As Christ later would say, blessed are those who groan and moan, so to speak, for the kingdom of God, for the righteousness of God, because they shall be comforted. And so the people of God, knowing their iniquities and their sins, and their backsliding from God, acknowledging their, their iniquity before God, they had to shed an awful lot of tears. But God is comforting them. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. In other words, then don't ever give up. And that's why the Jew for the past 2,000 years, and I'm sure that the people of Israel for many centuries after their captivity from the land of Israel, many of them were still faithful in spite of all the iniquity that they committed, and many of them would actually go back to the temple to offer sacrifices. They had an awful lot of tears. And therefore, those who believe that God will deliver them, uh, some of them finally saw the deliverance, the salvation of God. And so God is saying he's going to bring them back from captivity. He never rejected them. He never forsaken them. They are his people. They are his chosen. No matter what other nations and other peoples and other false churches have said about them, they are his people and he will never leave them nor forsake them. He will go into their captivity as he did in the days of Egypt, in spite of all their iniquity at the time when they were idolaters, participating in the worship of the idols of Egypt, Yet nevertheless, in that time, he brought them out because they were his people, because he swore by his name to Abraham, his chosen ones, his friend, and to Isaac, and to Jacob, and they would never leave them nor forsake them. So you can see, Father, uh, you can see as you, as you look through all that, the enormity of that big lie that has been taught and begun to be taught 2,000 years ago, that God rejected his people and now he chosen somebody else instead of them, and God had never done that. And so he says to them, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And as you understand the story of salvation, as you read through it from the beginning until the end, you will see what God is talking about. And that's in essence what they are saying in this song, Psalm of Ascent. Verse 1, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion. They already speak about it in terms as if, from God's point of view, as if it already happened. Because they know that God promised and he will fulfill his word. He had never rejected them, no matter how far down the road they went from him. He will bring them back. And that's what they were saying, in a long in advance, by the Spirit. That's what God is saying by uh, the psalmist. Because he knows what he's going to do. That when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. You see? That is sure. It's not something you have to wonder. Is God really merciful to his people? Is he going to remember his covenant? Did he really reject us? No, Israel, the ones that were faithful and retained the faith, always knew. As Paul at John would say, 
all Israel will be saved because they have never been rejected. That's why. Regardless of the lies that began to be taught even during his day and he had to confront that. And that's the very reason for his discourse in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 to counter that lie that began to be uh, spread around supposedly God's people at the time. And many of them were sincere and others were being were deceivers and deceived themselves. And we begin to spread that lie and to this very day this lie is being believed even by many of God's people. So it's important to see from God's point of view because God never lies. Man does. Let's go now to uh, Psalm 128 and verse 5 where we read The Lord bless you out of Zion and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, you may see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is what God is inspiring his people to write. To constantly confirm his covenant and to comfort them and to let them know and understand. In spite of all their sins and iniquities, he will never leave them nor forsake them. These are not empty words, just inspirational as some people think. My word, the God of Israel said when he came in the flesh, are spirit. And they are true. But unfortunately, the words of others are not. Psalm 129, verses 1 and 5. 1 to 5. Many a time they have afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say. And it happened, and many times it was because of the sins of Israel. Verse 2. Many a time they have afflicted me from my youth. Yet they have not prevailed against me. Why? Because God is with him. Was, is, and will be. And verse 3. The plowers plowed on my back. They made their furs long. The Lord is righteous. He has cut in pieces the cords of the wicked. Let all those who hate Zion be put to shame. And remember, Zion is symbolic for the nation, the people of Israel, the people of Judah. And the people of Israel who do not know that they are Israel and are going to be hated. And that's why the trouble of Jacob that we read about in Jeremiah 30. And as soon as the world would know who Israel is, the entirety of Israel, they're going to hate them too. And the martyrdom will begin. And so God is recording all those things in advance. Let all those who hate Zion, the people, the city, the nation, you know, the question, who and what is the church, the people of God, the chosen of Jacob, the seed of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and all the tribes of Israel. This is the church, was, is, and will be, and Zion, or Jerusalem, or the heavenly Jerusalem, that's the who, the what. And so let all those who hate Zion be put to shame and turn back, let them be as, as the grass on the house tops and so forth. In other words, God is, is uh, revealing his mind about all those who speak evil against his own people. And that includes all those who claim to be the followers of, of the God of Israel. And yet they are liars. As he said in Revelation uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 3, I believe, also, um, oh, uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3, I believe, it was twice there someplace. It says, uh, speaking about those who claim to be Jews and they are not Jews. 
In other words, they say, well, God forgot his people, rejected his people, they're so bad, they're so evil, and they gave themselves a license for the next centuries to butcher them, and to kill them, and to destroy them, and that was applicable not only to the children of Judah, but also to the children of Israel of the other tribes. It happened in many places, even during the Inquisition. Many of them were butchered by the Inquisition, by the Spanish Habsburg, and uh, that is a monarchy. So that history goes on, and the culmination of it is yet to come. And God makes it very plain what he thinks about these people and what he's going to do to them. In Psalm 130, we continue. This is again a song of ascent. And uh, Psalm 130, verse 1, we read, Out of the depth I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. And that's speaking about an individual who speaks to God. And he's speaking specific about the nation, the people of Israel, the people of God, who did know, were honest enough to know that they were in iniquity, in transgression, and it was by their own faults that all the evils came upon them. And so they are crying to God. In verse 3 they say, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? And that was in essence what happened to Israel. And that's what the, nation, the nations did not understand. Yes, Israel sinned grievously against God, but that does not mean that God forgot His grace. You see, God did not forget His grace, nor His promise, nor His covenants. They are without repentance, irrevocable. And so, in verse 3, He says, In the name of the nation, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. And then he continues, speaking in the, in the voice, so to speak, of the nation itself. And this is the way God inspires it to be written. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. Verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is mercy. And with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. That's why Paul said what he said. All Israel shall be saved. None of the apostles has ever any doubt. Had any, uh, any doubt. None of the true servants of God who know the word of God as they should. Had any doubt about the fact that God never ever rejected his people. That his people will remain his people. That his church will remain his church and his only church. And those also that God will choose to graft from among the nations. They're not replacement of the nation of Israel. They're just being grafted as olive trees into the natural, you know, together with the natural branches to the trunk of the tree, which is God himself and the Savior. And so... That's what God is saying through the mess, through uh, his servant here who is writing this psalm. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So how can people say that God rejected his church and now he has chosen us? So now there are two of us. The rejected one, the fallen one, and we are the one. And yet God makes it very plain. No, it's the other way around. 
The ones that claim that God rejected his people are members of the fallen church. And they should come out of Babylon, or else they will be partakers of her plagues. And for 2,000 years, people have been deceived to believe that. And many were sincere and honest, uh, read through these uh, words of deception that people used uh, to deceive them with, and believed it, and they thought that was really true. Now God's chosen us, now we are the people of God, and God you know, rejected those, and they're all going to hell. And that's, that was the attitude that they had toward many of the children of Israel. And that's why without any uh, second thoughts, it didn't bother them to kill them, butcher them, and martyr them, and destroy them. Because after all, God rejected them. He even called them the children of the devil. He even said that they are uh, less than human beings. And so will they again, but all the, the children of Israel, when they find out who they really are, the entirety of the, of the house of Israel, all the twelve tribes, they'll say the same thing about them. And so it's a uh, open season on them. Let's kill them. God rejected them. We are the true church. You see, we must not be a, a part of that arrogance and haughtiness and darkness and confusion and Babylon. We must come out of it. And he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall, as Paul would say. Then let's go to uh, Psalm 131 and verse 3, the last one. In other words, God, throughout the Psalms, He's describing the state of Israel, the fear, the trial, problems that is the people of Israel had, and their captivity and their punishment here and there. And yet constantly he ends up the psalm by reminding them he is their God and they are his people. And so in this case, Psalm 131, this is a song of a sense of David. And uh, he ends up the psalm by saying, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. And this is the mind of God that is being revealed here. Because God never rejects his people. And people who forget that and don't know that and are being deceived to feel, to feel otherwise and to think otherwise are just misinformed. Let's go now to, uh, to Psalm 135. Actually, we should read first uh, Psalm 132 where we read about the, the promise to David, which is an eternal promise, and it has relevance to Israel itself, because David is going to rule over Israel, and if Israel has been rejected, over whom David is going to reign, that would make God a liar. People didn't think about it when they say what they say. And so we read in uh, verse 11, The Lord has sworn to his, in his truth to David, He will not turn from it. People say that God lies. He makes promises. He doesn't keep them. He said, I will sit upon, uh, I will sit upon your throne, the fruit of your body. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I shall teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forever more. See, it's an eternal promise. Verse 13, for the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is, verse 14, we read, this is my resting place forever. God makes it very plain. How plain can his language be before people can understand and believe it? God never rejected the who and the what that make his church. Never did he do that. 
they are always his people. His city is always his city and forever. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. Verse 13 and verse 14. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. That is regardless of the iniquities of the city. As in Revelation we shall read the city with all the iniquities that are in it. And some people think, well, that's speaking by the Jews. Well, that's hypocrisy when people say that in bigotry. But the simple reason is, when you look at East Jerusalem, the city of God where David was and Solomon was, we're not talking about Western Jerusalem, an expanded city today, where mostly it was uh, inhabited by the, by the Jews that came to Israel, became known as Israeli. But the Jerusalem is speaking about that in Revelation is called Sodom and Egypt. That's a city that is full of all the religions on the face of the earth. And mainly the churches of the Revelation 17. That's why he calls it Sodom and Egypt. And people who are bigoted about it, you know, say, well, that's speaking by the Jews. Well, that shows you what manner of spirit they are. And so it's important to see it from God's point of view. God chose his nation. Yes, he will heal them and cleanse them and purge them and purify them from all their filthiness. And he's going to describe in detail all their evils. But that's on one hand. But on the other, he said he's going to wash them and purify them. And he's going to blot out all their iniquities and sins. That's the reason why he came and gave his life for his wife. Not so he can go and marry somebody else. As the false church began to teach. And people believe it to this very day. And so God said he will never forsake them. In verse 15. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation. As you read in Malachi 3, when God brings back the captivity of his people Judah, he's going to purify the sons of Levi, and they shall be priests to him. Then he said, Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem shall be acceptable to the Lord. There you have the pattern. And people do not know the pattern to take pieces of the puzzle and put them in their own places and come up with a new, a new doctrine, a new reality. You know, the replacement theology, dispensationalism, and all the other lies that come with it. God says, I will also clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There I will make the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamb for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame. Those who speak against David and against his own people over whom he's going to rule. But upon himself his crown shall flourish. Speaking about David and speaking about the nation that he's going to rule over. The seed, the chosen seed, the holy seed, as you will, we shall see later on uh, in Isaiah and other places the people of Jacob. So, we should read those things with humble uh, minds and make a choice. As Elijah said, look, if God is God, go on his side. But if Baal is, is God, go on his side. Stop sitting on the fences. And God makes it uh, very plain. So we can make a choice. And then we're, let's go to uh, Psalm uh, 135 where we continue the story. And the story goes on and on and on until the end of the, of the book. Uh, 135 and verse 4, we read, For the Lord had chosen Jacob for himself, 
Israel for his special treasure. For I know that the Lord is great, and our Lord is above all gods. And whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Even though people said, yes, he chose his people, but then he got fed up of them and tired and kicked them out. And now he chose us. That's not what God said. False prophets say that. The prophets of God don't speak that way. They speak the words of God and not their own words. And so in verse 14 we read, For the Lord will judge his people, and he will have compassion on his servants, the people of Israel. People can apply to themselves, but those are liars who do. God is speaking always about his people, his chosen ones. In Psalm 137, verse 1, now we're speaking about the fallen church. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept. When we remembered Zion, you know, the what of what the church is, Zion, the symbol of the nation. And this is the people of Judah in specific speaking here. But that should be applicable to all the nation of Israel, to all the tribes of Israel. Especially as they come to the knowledge of who they really are and what the pattern of salvation is. And who the church is, and what the church is, and what they, especially when the captivity is coming upon all of them, they're going to wake up and start believing the God of their fathers and the religion of their fathers, instead of believing the lies of the, of the Babylonish church. And so by the rivers of Babylon, they're going to sit again. And there we sit down, yea, we wept, when we remembered Zion, we hang our harps upon the willows in the midst of it, for there... Those who carried us away captive ask of us a song, and they're going to do it again, making fun of the children of Israel in the calamity that is coming upon Jacob. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing to us one of the songs of Zion. Yet they say, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Because that's what Judah is going to end up again, unfortunately. And that's where all the tribes of Israel are going to end up, in foreign lands. Because captivity is coming upon all of Israel. And then verse 5, If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. You see, unfortunately, in the past many, many centuries, and thousands of years, even though now and then people said that, they did not follow the God of Jacob. They did not obey him wholeheartedly, especially in this last generation, the last two, three generations. The majority of the people of Israel are not religious. They have no place for God. And so they do not really remember Jerusalem as they should. And when God is inspiring this word, he's speaking about people who seek the heavenly Jerusalem, who seek the city of Israel, who seek the religion of God who seek the God of Israel, who seek the Savior and the Deliverer, who seek His path and His way and not their own, who seek His peace and not their own kind of peace. And so God continues in verse 7, inspiring the psalm, Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom in the day of Jerusalem, that is, the captivity, and that's something that is going to be fulfilled again in the future. And at this point we have no... No uh, time, and I would not, I'm not going to take the time to explain who Edom is. 
It's a big, huge subject. We'll come to it sometimes, hopefully later on, God's willing. But suffice it to say that the children of Edom are still alive and well today, and they're going to be participating again in the destruction of Israel, not only in the Middle East, but throughout the whole earth. Because wherever Jacob is, this is where Edom is also. And so it says, the sons of Edom, remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, in the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it to its very foundation. That's their spirit and attitude. Let us destroy the people of God. They've always been at it. And in verse 8, O daughter of Babylon, who are to be destroyed. And there you can see a link between the two, because the two work together, and the two are a part and parcel of each other. And sometimes later on, hopefully we'll have some time to go through it as we get to the story of, uh, of the brother of uh, Jacob, Edom. Happy the one, or is the one, who repays you as you have served us. Happy the one who takes and dashes your little ones against the rock. So God is inspiring his people of the coming deliverance that he's going to bring them by the destruction of Babylon and those who are related to Babylon or linked to it. And Edom is one of them. Unfortunately, a twin brother of Jacob, of Israel, that could have lived a life of righteousness, but chose another way. Instead of coming out of Babylon, he became a part of it. Far more than people may realize. And God tells us, if we are to be the chosen ones, also, not only the children of Israel, but also the grafted ones, if we are going to be a part of that commonwealth of Israel, we must come out of Babylon. And that's what we read in this uh, in this uh, psalm. And also, as you go later on, Revelation 17, it's the same story. It's the same church and the same people. Let's continue now with uh, Psalm 146, where we're going to read a little bit more about the mind of God, about his own people. In verse 10, the last verse, The Lord shall reign forever, your God, O Zion. To all generations. Praise the Lord. God is speaking to his own people. And he's inspiring these words. And you have to take it from that point of view. I think he had enough background not to understand to whom God is speaking. Who and what is his church. And we're going to see more and more of it. Until it becomes a complete, perfect evidence and case you know, for the, the true identity of the church. So nobody will be deceived anymore. Because you cannot turn the scriptures out of the Bible and throw them away and say, well, it's just a man's opinion. You read the very living words of God himself. I'm just making a, a sort of a, the narrating in this case and adding a few words here and there alongside in the same spirit and manner, hopefully. And so we read in Psalm 147 now, verse 1, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and praise is Beautiful. Verse 2. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. Not rejected them. You see? Never rejected them. These are the very words of God who is inspiring his servants to write these words. These are not the words of men. So let no one say, well, it just... Somebody from that background, you know, who speaks. He's got a bias and a prejudice in that direction. Well, people who want to be liars, let them be liars. Or believe in the spirit of lies. 
And so in verse 12 and 14 we continue. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he has strengthened the bars of your gates. He has blessed your children within you. He makes peace in your borders and fills you with the finest wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs very swiftly. In other words, God is going to bring deliverance to his own people. He's never going to forsake them. Verse 19, he declares his word in Jacob, his statutes and his judgments to Israel. You know what is the terminology for the law of God, which to begin with they have rejected in the Revelation 17 churches. It's anything but statutes and judgments and precepts and testimonies and laws, you see, and commandments. Oh, they've got their own words for it, and we use them to this very day. We don't like the word, the Torah. We don't like the word, the law of God. We don't like to hear about the statutes and judgments and precepts and testimonies. Many of us have that resentment within us. As soon as we hear about the law of God, they say, oh, preach to us the New Testament, grace, love, principal doctrines, you know, Christian doctrines, Christian values, Christian ethics, Christian, 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 everything. Anything but the words that God chosen for his own laws and commandments and statutes and judgments and precepts. People who are alienated from God feel that way. And once we have departed from God and we are so far from Him, then His own word and His own truth becomes weird to us and strange and far out. And we don't like it. And therefore, the trouble of Jacob is coming upon all of Jacob and including upon many among the, the, the people of God. They need to come out of Babylon, cleanse themselves, purify themselves, purge themselves from all the filth you know, that they have brought with them from the past into the very body of Christ. And so God speaks very plainly. And so he says in verse 19, he declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and his judgments to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any nation. And as for his judgments, they have not known them. That's why they come up with their own terminology. They don't know the judgments of God. But Adat Israel, that is the body of witnesses of Israel, they do know. And those who go back to the God of Jacob and Israel and accept him and his terminology and his word and his religion and his heritage and everything that he gave Israel as a part of the covenant which is not going to forgive um, that is forget ever that is conditionally on the, if, we, if we keep that commandment and that covenant and come under the promise by following the footsteps of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the fathers and the saints and the prophets and the apostles you see and all of them were law-abiding until the end of their day. Then, we're going to be a part of that, part of the God of Israel. And then we're going to be his heritage. And then Psalm 147, uh, 147, well, we read that. Let's go to 149, let's see, 149, verse 1. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the assembly of saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name with a dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and the harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. His own people. 
And those city grafts among the nations who fear God. And don't say, well, I don't want your religion. I just want you. That's what people have done. Appropriated the name of Christ and few of his teachings and rejected his law. Verse 5, let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud in their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth. And a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations. The nations that have committed holotry, as we read later on in Revelation, with a great whore, with a false church, and her teachings, and are drunk with the wine of her fornications, as God specifically inspired to be written. And so the sense of God in verse 7, to execute vengeance on the nations, that's their job, and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with, with chains, and the nobles with fetters of iron to execute on them the written judgment. This honor have all his saints. And he's not, praise the Lord, that's how he ends up. But he's not speaking only, it, you know, uh, mainly it is going to be by those who are going to be spirit beings at the coming of Christ, but also we're going to see the people of God, the physical Israel brought back to their land, as you can read in Isaiah 11 and many other places. The children of Joseph and the children of Judah are all busy, you know, cleaning the land, destroying the evil uh, uh, from uh, the land that is removing all the other people that don't belong there. And casting away those that should not be there, that have, uh, are basically squatters in the land of God, the heritage of Israel. And yet, in spite of that, God is going to allow a number of strangers to remain in the land who are going to acknowledge the God of Jacob. And the fact that he has the right to give the land to whomsoever he chooses. Instead of saying, this land is mine. And God says, oh no, this land is mine and I give it to my people Jacob. At this point we shall stop and say greetings to all of God's people. This is again Mordecai Joseph. The preceding message was taken from the worldwide website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.